by Investing Caffeine, a podcast designed to wake up your investment brain. This is Wade Sloan, founder of Sadoxy Capital Management, author of How I Managed $20 Billion by Age 32, and lead editor of the Investing Caffeine blog. All right, I have to admit it, I kind of feel like a veteran podcaster now that I'm on broadcasting my second podcast. Uh, but I guess I'll just leave it up to you, the audience, to be the judge of my true podcasting chops. Tell us what you think. We're always available, so please give us your thoughts um, on the Weekly Grind podcast by messaging us at info at That's S-I-D as in David, O-X-I-A dot com, or give us a call at 949-258-4322. Uh, regardless, we have a great agenda today. Like always, we're going to start off by reviewing the major financial market indexes and sectors, uh, then move on to market-moving headlines. I'll cover a few individual stocks and then finish with the weekly rant on share buybacks. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into this week's Grind podcast. It was a mixed bag this week in the stock market with an upper trending bias. Uh, the S&P 500 index was up for the fifth consecutive week by 11 points to 2801, or up four-tenths of a percent. On the flip side, the Dow Jones Industrial Average posted its first down week of 2019. Okay, this is where you can play your violin. Uh, the the Dow was actually almost flat, but ended down a whole five points to 26,026, or a whopping down two one-hundredths of a percent, so basically flat. Uh, the Dow may have ended its winning streak, but one streak is still alive, and that's the NASDAQ. Uh, the NASDAQ index posted its ninth consecutive week of gains, keeping its 2019 perfect record going. For the week, uh, the Tech Heavy Index increased 67 points to 75.95, or up nine-tenths of a percent. Um, if you look at all the major indexes, they're all up double digits for 2019, and the NASDAQ is up a heady 14.5%. So while it's been an amazing start to the year overall for stocks, it's important to highlight this following point. As rapper J. Cole famously said, the bad news is, nothing lasts forever. The good news is, nothing lasts forever. So there you go. This basically means that things are not going to go straight up forever, and things won't go down straight forever. Uh, we've seen this movie plenty of times. All right, let's switch gears to the bond market with the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury note. Uh, rising by 10 basis points for the week, or 0.1%, to 2.75%. And it's amazing. On a daily basis, the talking heads love to talk about every hundredth of a percentage point change in the 10-year yield. But the fact remains, interest rates are near generational lows, and the 10-year Treasury yield has spent most of the last two years in a trading range between 2 and 3%. Yes, it is true. Um, over this time frame that on a few occasions the yield has briefly poked below that 2 to 3% range and above the 2 to 3% range but has returned pretty quickly so why do rates remain stubbornly low well besides negative rates in Europe and Japan uh, 
which are acting as an anchor to keep rates down. Inflation remains in check thanks to stabilizing oil prices, which are currently in the mid $50 per barrel. Um, but those prices are still significantly below the mid 70s per barrel we saw last year. And the other major component, wages, although rising um, in that 2 to 3% increase um, per year, are not um, spiking up out of control. All right, from interest rates, let's move on to a few sectors that move this week. Uh, we got data showing housing starts in December fell 10.9%. And as a result of this, the Spiders XHB Home Builders ETF uh, underperformed the broader market and sank 2%. Um, in that same vein, Home Depot, ticker HD, made headlines when they reported double-digit sales growth to $26.5 billion and earnings growth of 33%. But the stock still sank 4% when the home improvement retailer said its forecasted 2019 earnings were below Wall Street consensus estimates. Um, worth noting, uh, we do have a client account with a position in Home Depot. On the positive side of the sector ledger, we saw strong performance from the biotech sector, as evidenced by the 4% gain in the BTK index. The index was buoyed by 8% gains in BioMarin Pharma, ticker BMRN. Uh, they're the $17 billion San Francisco company focused on rare genetic diseases. And we also saw a pop of 7% in Illumina Inc., ticker ILUM. They're the $47 billion genetics company headquartered in San Diego. All right, in other major headlines, we saw the release of fourth quarter gross domestic product. Uh, GDP is the gold standard for the temperature of the overall U.S. economy. And what we saw in the data was that Q4 GDP rose 2.6% versus the estimate of 2 to 2.2%. So significantly above uh, what was expected, um, and this was a surprise given, given the uh, ongoing trade disputes with China and the partial government shutdown that we saw in Q4. Uh, what drove Q4 GDP higher? Uh, consumer spending, which accounts for 70% of the economy, uh, rose 2.8%, so that was a key driver, along with the robust uh, job market and the stimulative tax cut package uh, that went through in 2018, um, along with uh, household income gains. Uh, these GDP numbers brought full year 2018 growth to 2.9%, which is a very respectable number, um, especially in light of the global slowdown in other developed markets like China, Europe, and Japan. And uh, But critics were quick to dissect the number because it was a hair below the coveted 3% target um, of the White House. Another uh, news, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell testified before Congress re uh, reiterating that the Fed was close to reducing its balance sheet and will remain, quote, patient as it relates to hiking future interest rates. Uh, Powell received lots of political questions on wages. Um, and this is kind of a nuanced pet peeve of mine because yes, it's true that real household incomes have been sluggish, 
but they have been growing for almost a decade now under both Democratic and Republican leadership to a four-decade record of about 62,000. So I, um, as you'll find out, I try to stay apolitical with all these things. It's just unfortunately um, with anything news-related, it, it always gets thrown through that prism. Um, and in geopolitics, uh, President Trump flew 21 hours to Vietnam to meet for a second time with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Um, but unfortunately, the president left um, early and empty-handed without signing an agreement after talks broke down over sanctions. Domestically, we got a full serving of political drama with Trump lawyer Michael Cohn, who testified in closed sessions before the House and Senate Intelligence Committees and in public to the House Oversight Committee. In the open session, Cohn admitted to paying hush money to two women during the election. Cohen called President Trump a racist con man and a cheat, but Cohn is the one heading to jail after being sentenced for lying to Congress, among other charges. Lastly, on the U.S.-China trade front, uh, tweets from President Trump continue to fly, and U.S. Trade uh, Representative Robert Lighthizer said the administration was no longer threatening China with higher tariffs. Uh, the comments have been interpreted to mean that the two countries are nearing a deal, but deals uh, still remain sketchy. All right, uh, let's now jump from economics and politics uh, to a few specific stocks. Uh, first off, I want to talk about HP Inc., ticker HPQ, which was down 17% for the week after disappointing Q4 earnings results and a weak outlook. You know, things are bad when the CEO, Dion Weisler, admits that they need to change the whole structure of the company to deal with the declining printer supplies markets. Because what Weisler said was, quote, we can't bring a musket to a drone fight. Uh, we can't bring a musket to a drone fight. Uh, the cratering in price is pretty easy for me to understand when you consider HP is charging an arm and a leg for those tiny ink cartridges that we always put in our printers. And why should we pay so much money when I can just go to Amazon and order ink from a third party for half the price? Uh, at my firm, Sadoxy Capital Management, we call companies like HP cigar butt investments which basically means cigar bet investing is a difficult strategy to pull off when you're looking at companies slowly falling into secular decline. Um, as you can tell from the 17% drop, trying to get a last puff out of those ink cartridges can be a challenging endeavor. Uh, the other stock headline that grabbed my attention this week was Amazon announcement that they are launching a new set of grocery stores that will complement the Whole Foods stores that Amazon acquired in 2017 for over $13 billion. The Wall Street Journal reported that Amazon.com is planning to open dozens of grocery stores in several major U.S. cities starting here in my backyard of Los Angeles as early as the end of this year. Some of the other cities being discussed include San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and Philadelphia. This is where I give myself a pat on the back. 
because at Sadoxia, we've been proud winning owners of Amazon since we opened our doors for business more than 11 years ago. And uh, our investors have been happy too. Uh, I can't say I'm surprised by this announcement because Jeff Bezos, the CEO, has such modest goals of taking over the world um, and almost every industry. It's even less surprising in light of Amazon's previous 2018 announcement that they want to roll out cashierless Amazon Go stores in urban areas. All right, uh, this leaves us to our last segment of the Weekly Grind podcast, and uh, that's my weekly rant. So before we go our separate ways, I want to finish the Weekly Grind with my rant on share buybacks. Um, This is um, relevant because the government has recently been throwing in its two cents on the uh, subject of buybacks. This can be a fairly wonky subject, So I'll do my best to wade through the subject, no pun intended. I think uh, the best way to describe any company's share buyback policy is to first think of a company's shares as slices of a pie. Every public traded company has its own arbitrary number of shares that fluctuate with things like splits, stock splits, buybacks, share issuances, IPOs, mergers, and other corporate actions. So to illustrate the mechanics of a share buyback, let's take a look at another one of Sadoxia's holdings over the last day, decade, and that's Apple Inc. If you were to take a little closer look at Apple, you'd realize that they currently have about 4.7 billion shares outstanding, or you can think, at, uh, think about it as 4.7 billion slices of its pie. Apple has spent over $135 billion, that's with a B, buying back their stock over the last three years. Uh, These buybacks um, by Apple have reduced their share count by 15% roughly. You may or may not know that billionaire investor Warren Buffett uh, happens to own about 250 million shares of Apple, or 5% of the overall company, um, or its uh, slices. So conceptually, had Buffett owned the stock um, before these share buybacks over the last three years, his ownership would have gone up roughly by the same amount, uh, 15%. Um, The more Apple buys back shares, the higher ownership percentage of Buffett goes. Um, As you'd expect, the same principle applies to all shareholders, including ourselves at Sodoxia. From a quantitative standpoint, Buybacks are mainly determined by two factors. That's interest rates and stock price valuations. As long as interest rates remain low, the buyback decision is based on a very simple equation that compares yield being earned on their cash um, or paid on their debt compared to the earnings yield on the stock price. So you just want to compare what they're earning in the bank versus what the yield is on the stock. So what is an earnings yield on a stock? The earnings yield is very simply um, calculated because it's just the price-earnings ratio of a stock inverted. In other words, you don't take price divided by earnings, but rather you take earnings divided by price. 
So let me make my case. Um, if I'm the CFO of Apple and I'm earning, let's say, 2% on my cash, why wouldn't I buy more Apple stock and earn 7%? How do I arrive at 7%? Well, very simply, I just take the P.E. ratio of Apple at 15 times um, or 15 divided by 1 and invert it to 1 divided by 15 or 7%. CFOs across corporate America are using the same sixth grade math to implement upwards of $1 trillion of share buybacks last year. The whole share buyback issue has now become a political football. Um, Senators Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders, Marco Rubio have all targeted share buybacks as an evil practice and have been in the process of introducing legislations in hopes of curbing this practice. Let me be clear. I don't see this ever happening, but if it did, this would be an unmitigated disaster. First of all, guess what happens if you disincentivize share buybacks? Companies are not going to automatically hire more employees and build more factories. Rather, they will engage in speculative, overpriced acquisitions. Corporate execs will always have an incentive to increase earnings per share, and if CEOs are prevented by the government to use share buybacks to increase earnings per share, guess what? They will engage in other risky behavior to achieve that goal. The consequences will not only be negative for investors, but also for the economy overall. Politicians should stick to, to do what they do best and not venture into macro micromanaging capital allocation decisions for the best and brightest companies in the world. I mean, what's next? Is government going to chime in on what company employees need to buy for lunch? It's an insanely slippery slope that government should not engage in. Of course, not all buybacks are good or equal. If the company is borrowing excessively to do share buybacks and taking on too much financial risk for short-term gains, well, that's a different story. Or if a company does a share buyback of, let's say, 5% of their shares, but issues 10% new shares to employees, it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Earnings per share will go down, not up, and investors will be made worse off. Rather than the government, shareholders should be pressuring management teams to make the most efficient capital allocation decision as it relates to buybacks. Okay, I'm done with my rant and can gently step off my soapbox. With that, this concludes another edition of the Weekly Grind <clears throat> podcast by Investing Caffeine. Thank you again for listening, and before I sign off for the week, I want to give a special thanks to our executive producer, Kevin Weaver, for providing all the technical expertise behind the grind. As always, we appreciate your feedback, so shoot us a message at info at or give us a call at 949-258-4322. Enjoy the weekly grind, and see you again next week.